Welcome to the Marty Smith America Podcast. This is volume 59, and man, it's a special one for me. Uh, as most of you know, I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, and we love our Panthers, and we have a newly minted Carolina Panther defensive tackle who is a straight beast, Gerald McCoy. Of course, had a tremendous career during his tenure in Tampa Bay. Uh, he decided to stay in the NFC South in the most dominant division in the NFL uh, with the best parity in the NFL and uh, and keep it in the South and joins the Carolina Panthers and everybody in Charlotte's thrilled to have Gerald there. We have a fantastic conversation with him and I learned so much in this conversation and you will too, everything from the way that he was shaped as a man, as a young man, uh, some strife and some tragedy that he faced along the way and how that helped shape him and his philosophical approach to life and his appreciation for what has been such an amazing career. And in fact, a career that was almost done. And he'll describe to you why in this conversation as well. Travis and I were both captivated by Gerald's candor, by his honesty, and just his his easygoing demeanor. What a fantastic personality to be coupled with such a ferocious approach to the game of football um and i can't wait for you guys to hear it Uh, but before we get to gerald i want to remind you guys that this conversation is brought to you by zip recruiter and hiring used to be hard multiple job sites stacks of resumes confusing review processes but today hiring is easy all you have to do is go to ziprecruiter.com slash marty ZipRecruiter sends your job to more than 100 of the web's leading job boards. They don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes everyone and spotlights the top candidates so you don't miss a great match, ever. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That is nothing. That is a big goose egg. That is zero. At this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Marty. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash M-A-R-T-Y. ZipRecruiter.com slash Marty. Remember, guys, ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. And I'm so glad that Gerald McCoy decided to hire the Carolina Panthers and the Carolina Panthers decided to hire Gerald McCoy. Um, I've loved the dude since he was at Oklahoma. All those years ago. How many is it now, Travis? 10, 10 years ago? Something like that. 12 years ago? I mean, he played for Brett Venables. That's all you need to know how long yeah, it goes back. Yeah, he played for Coach V, and I can't wait for you guys to, to, <laughs> to hear what he has to say about Coach V, and I share a funny story about Coach V in this conversation as well. So without further ado, uh, I want to know what you guys think of this after you listen, especially those of you guys who are, are Bucks fans, who got the great opportunity to watch Gerald play all these years. And those of you who are Panthers fans who uh, are thrilled to welcome him to Charlotte, North Carolina. Here is our conversation on the Marty Smith's America podcast with Carolina Panthers defensive tackle, Gerald McCoy. It is such a pleasure for me to welcome to the Marty Smith's America podcast the newly minted Carolina Panthers star defensive tackle, Gerald McCoy. I can't tell you how much I love the sound of that. Because I live in Charlotte and I am a Panthers guy. Brother, it is so awesome to have you in our town. It's great. It's great to be here. It's excellent. How are you doing this morning? I'm amazing. My blessings are so rich. And 
again, it's so great to have you here. So I'm going to go ahead and just start right there. Why was Carolina the right choice for you when you could have gone to myriad different different places? Yeah, well, there's a, a number of different reasons why I chose Carolina. There's a lot of different factors that go into making a big decision like that. Um, age, for one. Uh, age meaning uh, maturity level, uh, where I'm at in my career, the things I have to focus on outside of football. As far as, um, you know, I'm married, I have five children, I have a, a newborn essentially, well, almost a year old. Uh, you know, I have a senior, that's a, a child is going to be a senior, a child is going to be in the eighth grade, and twins that are going to be in the fifth grade. So there's a lot of transition going on. Um, that's just really off the field, but on the field, uh, best fits for me, uh, how I can maximize who I am, you know, where I'm at in my career. I've been there, done that as far as being um, like, uh, I don't want to say the guy, but, you know, just kind of being that lead dog, that kind of role. You know, I want to go join a group of uh, established, uh, an established culture is really what I'm trying to say. And uh, that's really what I was looking for, an established culture. And uh, just a group of men that are like-minded, one common goal. And I wanted to be an add-on. I didn't want to come in and be the piece. I just wanted to be a piece and uh, just uh, something that can add on to what's already set in stone. And uh, that's what Carolina was for me, man. I went on my visit, and the guys were just great. We went to lunch, and I didn't realize it was going to be six players there. <laughs> Who was there? And uh, it was uh, Christian McCaffrey. Uh, Luke Keekley, uh, Kwan Short, Trey Turner, Shaq Thompson, and uh, Greg Olson. Just, a, just an incredible group of guys, man. Yeah, uh, and the uh, opportunity to be around them and uh, just enjoy their company. And they made me feel right at home, like one of the guys. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, I, I, I can fit in with these guys. You know, I belong here. And it just felt great, man. I just felt right at home. It felt like perfect fit. I hate to tell you, man, but you are not an add-on, all right? <laughs> you, you are no add-on. You noted the culture in Carolina being right for you. How would you describe the culture here in Carolina? Um, the thing you can see from afar, if you know anything about the game, about Carolina, is they are very, very, very resilient. And it starts from the head down. Coach Rivera uh, being a proven coach at every level, whether it was an assistant, whether it was a coordinator or a head coach, he's been in the Super Bowls. He's won a lot of games. And even when their back is against the wall, they just always find a way to win, man. Uh, I remember in 2013, I think it was, it started off rough and then went on a 10-game win streak. You know, they got into the playoffs with seven wins before. Like, they just find a way to get it done. And then not only did they get in the playoffs, they won a game, got to the second round. They just always find a way, man, and – the thing I want to join is not just that, but defense. Uh, the top dog in the NFC South for the past two years has been the New Orleans Saints. I'm not afraid to admit it. It is what it is. It's proven. They've won the South two years in a row. And uh, Drew Brees, you know, I train with him. He doesn't seem to be slowing down. So I know in order to be able to dethrone him, you have to be a great defense because he runs that offense to perfection. And I think, well, I know Carolina has all the pieces necessary. And uh, you had me in there, and it just kind of puts them over the top. You noted that Keekley showed up at that 
at that lunch to welcome you here and to woo you here. Uh, he's Captain <laughs> yeah. America, bro. I mean, he, he and Cam are the faces of our town. How would you describe right. Luke's talent and what it's like to, to watch him play the game as someone who's an expert at the game? Oh, well, he's the best at what he does, man. And, uh, you know, uh, oftentimes when I was with the Bucks, the offense would be frustrated because they'd say he's calling out everything we're doing. He knows exactly what's going on. We can't get nothing past him. You know, he's already in place. And then not only that, he's just really a freakish athlete, man. He's a lot faster than people know. He's really strong. and But his instincts, and he's a sure tackler. You know, he's just the best in the game, man. It's great to have a guy like that that's going to make me right. If I make a mistake, he's going to cover me up. And uh, it, 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 it's, it's a blessing to have him back there. You noted the the talent in the South. It's the best league in the NFL. Uh, it's remarkable Absolutely. how much talent there is in the league. It's a, remarkable how great the coaching is in the league. Why do you feel like you can be that piece that can push Carolina to win in the South? Oh, well, just my experience, uh, the things I can bring, you know, the uh, tricks of the trade of a D lineman, uh, things I can see preparation-wise technique-wise, that can help the guys that are already in place, man. They already have such a great established group up front, you know, but there's little things I've already seen and have tried to implement and help guys with that I know is going to help us in the long run. And, you know, I've I've always, uh, you know, just been a guy who prided myself on how I played the game. And you take who I am and what I've been able to do in my career and add it to a group like that. And I believe that'll put them over the top. I love it. You, you note who you are, and you and I have never met personally, but I've long been struck by your disposition. You just seem like such a kind human being that's so full of joy ever since you were at OU. What is your personality, Gerald? Yeah, well, for me, there's no, I've been blessed with everything that I have. It's nothing that I've done special. You know, God created me the way he created me. I just made the best of it. And um, I know that I don't own any of the things that I do or who I am. So I just try and carry myself that way, not with pride or, well, I have pride, but it's pride in who God's created me to be and who he's created me as. Uh, But not prideful like I'm above anybody or I've done something special to be where I'm at. I think we're all created equal. And uh, nobody's better than anybody else, regardless of your successes or your failures. Uh, we all have successes and we all have failures. We all have different roads and paths we go down. But the reality is everybody has a path. So what makes the next person different? If everybody has a path, whatever path you go down is your path. But if everybody has one, what makes us different? Nothing makes us different. So this is how I carry myself. I love life. Life is too short to be angry and not having a good time or let people bring you down with the comments and things they say. And, you know, that's just just who I am. I love that about being uh, being proud but not prideful. I say that all the time. We should be proud if we've been blessed with, with lives like you have and like I've been blessed with, but not prideful, not haughty. I wonder what individuals had the greatest impact on that philosophy for you? What individuals had the greatest impact on shaping you as a man? Well, it would have to be my parents, my mother and my father. I was blessed enough to grow up with both. 
And, um, you know, my dad taught me how to be a man. <laughs> my mom taught me how to be a man to a woman, you know, and what women look for in a man, uh, rather. And uh, I just took both of those things and, you know, paired them together. And that's, that's who I am. That's who I raised my kids to be. And, and that's who I try to be. I try to be an example more to just, you know, uh, try to raise my kids to be a certain way. I try to show them the first example of a the type of man my daughter should go after is going to be who she sees in me. So that's who I try and be. The type of man I want my daughters to go after is who I try and raise my son to be. You know, um, I don't want my, my sons to see me treat their mom negatively or be wrong, do wrong to their mom or be, uh, you know, arrogant or these different things because I'm the first example of a man that both my daughters and my son is going to see. So I try and make that the best example they can get and then give them the choice to choose who they want to be from there. But at least I know I laid a foundation and set the example of what they should look for as a man and in a man. Every man needs to hear that. Uh, absolutely. You know, I, I I know that you lost your mom too early. I think she was 53. I I did too. I lost my mom and she was only 47. I was only 22 when it happened. And Yeah, I was 19. I, you were 19. I knew you were younger than that. How did losing that leader in your life and that example in your life so young reshape your perspective on life? Well, my mother was my best friend. You know, my everything was through my, my mother, my first bank account, uh, my first cell phone, everything. And uh, I could talk to her about anything. You know, it's a, you can you can talk to your father because he's a man. He know he could talk to you from a man's standpoint. And there's things your mother won't understand. But when you have a mom, it's just her ability to just listen. And it don't matter whether she says anything back or whether she does, your mom is saying it so it's going to make you feel better. Or the fact that you're just around it makes you feel better. And that's who my mom was. I could tell anything regardless of what happened, you know, or what it was. And when they got taken away from me, you know, I was bitter. I was hurt. And I didn't really know how to deal with it. So, um, you know, I went through some tough times of lashing out. But eventually, it shaped me into the man I am, man. I, I, I persevered, and I grew from that. And now I can help others who deal with the same situation and help them get through it. And um, it's made me stronger in the long run. Yeah, I'm not sure even all these years later. I'm 43 now, and I'm not sure if I've even dealt with it yet, man. <laughs> I think no, I might it's one of those things up. you never you never get. I always, this is what I always tell people who deal with loss. Um, I only know from a parent's standpoint. Um, I always tell them, you never get over it. You just get used to it. Yeah, that's very well said. It's not something you'll ever get over. But you get used to it. You you learn how to deal with it, you know? Time is the only thing that helps, and time fails you more often than not. Absolutely. It's it's a fraternity nobody wants to be in. You know, we were talking about perspective just a moment ago, and nothing has given me perspective on my purpose, on my flaws, on my insecurities, on my setbacks, on what I'm good at, leadership. Nothing has given me that perspective greater than fatherhood. And Absolutely. You were a dad in high school. I I was such an idiot in high school. 
I can't even imagine that I got here. Thank God there was no social media. Anyway. Right, right. How does fatherhood at 17, especially with all of the external factors you were dealing with, number one defensive player in the country, recruited by everybody, all of that external stress. I can't imagine everybody in Oklahoma City telling you, you better go to OU, you better go to OU, right? You had a lot going right. on, man, and you throw fatherhood on top of it? What was that time in your life like? Well, it was tough. Uh, I mean, obviously, being a kid, having a kid is not easy, but God put the perfect woman in my life who's now my wife, um, and she was just so strong, man. Um, her and my mother and my sisters, strongest women I ever been around. And I just seen all of them be so strong. But in that time in, in my life, she was just, <clears throat> uh, she was so helpful. You know, she didn't put a lot, she didn't put any, not a lot. She didn't put any pressure on me. Um, she just said, hey, listen, you got, you got a job to do. This ain't going to slow us down. You still got to go to school. You still got goals. You still got just do your part and everything else will fall into place. And that's what I did, man. She made it so easy on me. Um, she's just so, such a strong woman. And, uh, you know, I couldn't have asked for God to put a stronger person in my life. And, uh, you know, on top of that, I had great parents and just a great support system and uh, help when I needed. Coaches were understanding, high school and college coaches. Uh, if I needed to step away. And, uh, you know, God just put me in a perfect situation. Uh, and, and it all worked out. What was Bob Stoops' influence on you? And was was BV your defensive coordinator? Yeah, he was. Brent Venables. For, I, I need to make sure I say his name. I, I, so those are two amazing dudes. I've been around both Absolutely. of them. Absolutely. So, so w w what were their influence on you? Well, Coach Stoops has known me since I was in uh, ninth grade going into my sophomore year. And uh, <clears throat> how it started is I went to the OU high school football camp, and I was one of the MVPs of the camp. And he told me, as soon as it's legal for me to offer you, you're getting an offer from Oklahoma. Just know that. <laughs> Don't worry about any other school. Just know you're going to have one waiting here. And from that point on, every time I came down there, I would come to the practices. I would come to the games on Saturday. He was just uh, very influential and and helping shape me and to who I became as a college player because he was just always so helpful with any questions I had, anything I needed. He was never too busy or, you know, never had too much going to ask any of the questions. And, man, if you talk about coaches that I played under, Coach Stoops is at the top of this. Just a great man in general. And Coach Venables, if you want to talk about passion – and a love for anything you do, his picture needs to be there. Um, the first day I met him, because I didn't, I don't remember meeting him before then. But the first day I met him was my first day on campus, and the first thing he said to me is, "Do you know what a pirate is?" And that's one of the D line stunts. And I was like, "No." He was like, "We well, need to know these things." He said, "How long ago did you sign? You should have been known that." Like that's just him. And I'm like, I haven't even seen a playbook yet. <laughs> but he he expected me to know it because he was that, you know, that fired up about me being there, about the possibilities of what I could do for this team. And he never lets up. He's never satisfied, and that's why he's been so successful at Oklahoma and definitely at Clemson. I was covering – brother, I need an apartment in Clemson. I cover them so much. And 
Yeah. I uh I was down there a couple of years ago. They were playing Louisville when Lamar Jackson uh, was the quarterback at Louisville. And we did all our stuff in the morning for Sports Center and College Game Day. And then I had the whole day to wait. It was like an 8.30 kickoff at night in Death Valley. And so I asked uh, the staff, can I just go use the weight room? Sure. So I go in the weight room, and I think I'm in there by myself. I got music on, you know, and I, I lay up under the bench. I'm like, all right, man, I'll get some chest in here. I kind of, kind of, I'm fixing my, my earphones, and I grab onto the bar, and all of a sudden, whoom, right over top of me is BV staring down at me going, you ready, boy? Let's go. Get that weight up. He's like the most intense dude I've ever seen in my life. Absolutely. Absolutely. uh, That's him. That is him to the fullest, and it never turns off. (laughs) No. No. That's why they need a get-back coach. They need They need a – Adam Smotherman, the the assistant weight staff guy, to to hold on to his belt to make sure he doesn't run out to the 50. So – Seriously, man. I just learned that you're vegan. Now, this intrigues me, all right? It intrigues me quite a bit. How did mama react when you said, you know what? I think I'm going to go vegan. How's that go in the household? Uh, So what happened was, and I told her I was going to be vegan uh, in January. It was actually um, the night of the Super Bowl. I said, you know what, baby? I think I'm going to switch to being vegan. She goes, oh, okay, it's something you can try. Let's see how it goes. She didn't expect me to go cold turkey. So from February 4th until this day, I've been vegan. And How's I was no eating into it, right into it. And she didn't believe that I was going to do it, but I did it. And it's been one of the best days, career choices I've ever made, man. I feel so much better. Uh, the inflammation and pain in my joints is not all gone, but it's 90% better than what it was. And I just, I, I'm so happy I made the transition. And it's a lifestyle change more than just for my career. It started out as a career change. But now it's a lifestyle change for me, man. I really enjoy it. So was it pain that led you to go vegan? What led you to do that? Yeah, I had a lot of inflammation in my joints just to the point to where it was hard for me to walk. You know, I, I struggled getting up the steps, and I just had so much pain. And it got to the point where I was like, I don't know how much longer I could play. And uh, I said, I got to make a, some type of switch, some type of change. And really what it was is uh, – I was fortunate enough to be the Bucks nominee for Walter Payton Man of the Year. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, they told us they were going to take us on the field. Um, I made a vow to myself. I wasn't going to go to NFL honors unless I was invited. And I was invited, so I went. And uh, just being around all those great players, it's just such a motivator. And I, I try and find motivation in, in, in anything, it no matter what it is. And that was just such a great motivator. Well, we were supposed to get honored on the field before the Super Bowl game. I didn't know that we were actually going to be on the field when the teams got introduced. So seeing those two teams get introduced, all those players run on, some players I played with, some players I was drafted with, or other players that I just know, and watching them get prepared to play the biggest game of their life for the championship, something clicked in my head like, gee, you got to do something different. You got to do anything in your power to be able to feel or experience this. And it was that moment I said, you know what? I have to change up my diet. I have to change up something. 
And it just clicked in my head. Um, a big influencer is Derek Morgan, uh, one of my closest friends. He was in my wedding, you know, defensive end for the Tennessee Titans. He's been vegan for a while. He's been trying to get me to switch over. Well, last year in training camp, I tried it while we practiced against them, and I loved it. But I was like, I don't know how to do this, so I'm just trying to eat better or whatever. Well, that day I said, you know what, I'm going to do it. So I hit him up and was like, hey, look, I'm going to do this vegan thing. Let's see what happens. And from that day forth, I made the switch, and it's the best thing I ever done. And I'll say this. It's springtime, and um, my muscle mass is as high as it's been in the past five years. My body fat is as low as it's been in the past five years. But I'm heavier than I've been in the past three years. But I'm moving better. My body feels better. I recover a lot faster. So I'm really excited about, you know, what's to come and the switch that I made. Did you ever consider hanging it up due to how much pain you were in? Oh, yeah, it crossed my mind a few times. It definitely did. I'll be a lot to say it didn't. You know, because I was like, man, am I going to be able to walk when I'm done? Am I going to be able to play with my kids? Am I going to? Now I do all that with no, no, like, easy. Not, I feel great. You know, I can jump and run and play with my kids and then go work out and then go do it all over again. I recover a lot faster. I sleep great. I feel great, man. That's amazing. You make me want to make a switch. I know, isn't Cam? There's a reason, vegan, there's a reason right? that Super Cam is a vegan, yeah. too. Yeah, what, what? What what's that what's that like? What what do you you guys discuss this? <laughs> we do. We have a lot of discussions about it and uh different things we eat and don't eat and uh we had a funny conversation um because when you're a vegan you don't get many you don't get like cheat days and stuff like that, but you know, if you're a football player, you're gonna have a cheat day. And we had a funny conversation about what our cheat meal was and I, wow. I, I think it was pretty funny. Um I'm not going to say what it is for either one of us, but it was a p- pretty funny conversation. <laughs> Deal. I got it. What? Th- th- so let's talk Cam a minute since since that was broached. He is such a unique person. He's been amazing to me, uh, and he's great for the Charlotte community, but he can be polarizing, right, even in Charlotte. Who is the Cam you know, and what would you say to any of his detractors? What would you say to any of his detractors? Get a life. Yeah. Who cares how you feel? He don't care. Why do you care? Why does a person care so much about what somebody else got going? All those people who say they say about him, I'm sure they got a family somewhere. I'm sure they got their own life. Why do you care so much about how he dresses or what he says or what he does? He's a kid that grew up loving the sport of football, was blessed enough with enough athleticism and size to be able to play the game. He put in a lot of hard work to get to where he's at. He's very fortunate. Was a top quarterback coming out of high school. Was a top quarterback at JUCO. Was a Heisman Trophy winner in college and was an MVP in the NFL. Who cares how you feel? The guy's great. Get over it. It doesn't matter. He Whether he had a lot left to do or not, he doesn't have Super Bowl rings. So what? A lot of us don't. But he's a trendsetter. He's an icon. When he came out of college, he said he wanted to be an icon. He's an icon. You don't just get invited to the Met Gala. That just don't happen. He's a, and, and, and he he he's constantly doing different things on and off the field. I mean, off the field to improve his game on the field. Last year, 
He was working out nonstop, two or three workouts every day. I know people see him on social media. So you can see the hard work he's done. This year he's a vegan. He, so clearly you can see he's focused on doing whatever it takes to be the best player he can be. And I'm not just saying this because we teammates now. I've always felt like this about Cam. You can go back to my past interviews. I tell you, he's the best escape artist we have in this league. And I've always been a big fan, except for when we played him. But I've always enjoyed watching Cam, who he was, and what he's done. If you don't like who he is, don't watch him. If you don't like who he is, don't follow him. But he's not changing because he doesn't care how people feel about him. And I think those are the best types of people, people who are comfortable in their own skin and know who they are. He knows who he is, and he's going to be him, whether you like it or not. And you can't beat that. Yeah, it's 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 very rare to see too, isn't it, Gerald? In this world, there's a whole lot of people who pretend like they don't care what other people think. I only know yeah. a few who truly don't care, and he's one of them. Yeah, and I I mean the thing is, the reason we bond so much is because I'm the same way. Like I love superheroes. I help people up off the field. I pray for my teammates when they're in the circle. Like people, oh well. Wrote a, somebody wrote an article a few years ago, well, why is Jill not in the circle while his team is breaking it down? You know why? Because I'm walking around praying for my teammates. Or, well, why is he so nice? Because that's how I was raised to be. I was raised to have good, great sportsmanship. I was raised to be able to play extremely hard, be able to help the person up, and then knock them right back down. You mean to tell me because I'm a nice person, I can't play the game hard? What about Reggie White? Now, I'm not saying I'm Reggie White, but that guy was a pastor. <laughs> the greatest, the greatest D love in the history, and he was a pastor. Like, think about that for a second. Really think about that. You mean tell me you can't be a nice guy and still play football? Like, I don't, and I don't, I just don't care how people feel. Like, I'm gonna be me. People have been talking about me my whole life. I don't care. Moving on. Get over it. Well, it. Uh, look, man, I've kept you too long. Uh, I can't thank you enough for your insight and your candor and your kindness. And uh, I have a hundred more things I'd love to ask you, but I've already kept you too long. Look, man, welcome to Charlotte. Welcome to Carolina. We're thrilled to have you here. Your example as a man, as a father, as a teammate, as a Christian, it's all so inspirational. And I appreciate you giving me this time. Thank you. And, uh, Hopefully I'll be able to be uh, down there at Bank of America Stadium on a couple of those Sundays to watch y'all beat them boys. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. Have a great one, brother. Thank you. All right, you too. Thank you. That conversation with Gerald McCoy was brought to you by ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. And, Travis, I just love when people are willing to, to go to go to those places to discuss – what it was like to learn that his mother had died from his father and manage that sorrow right in the middle of that parking lot when you know that you're about to start your college football career, the one that your mother had dreamed of, and realize that she's not going to be there to see it. That's a very difficult thing, and it's something that I've kind of dealt with. I've been very blessed in this life. I've been very blessed in this career to... Uh, had the opportunity to do things and see things that were so far beyond my wildest dreams in Parisburg, Virginia. That's what I wrote the whole book about. Uh, and my book never settled. And, you know, sometimes you just sit there and you're having a cold beer and you think, man, I wonder what mama would think about this. Man, I wonder what my daddy would think about this. And 
Gerald does that every day. Uh, because his mom, while she is certainly looking down and people say that to you all the time and, uh, people are so kind to say that to me when I broach it, but it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing as seeing and feeling and being that parental pride. Nothing. I've spent my whole life trying to make my daddy proud. My whole life. And, uh, you know, to hear Gerald discuss that about his mom was very moving to me. But the most, the most interesting part of that, was it not, Travis, was the fact that he almost gave up the game. He almost hung up his cleats and his helmet because he was in so much pain and switching to a vegan diet changed all that. Fascinates me, man. It's interesting because you always hear about diets or different ways that athletes are trying or even non-athletes are trying to improve their lifestyle. And this is a testimonial of what being vegan actually is. And you, you hear a lot of people are, but you don't. When you hear an athlete, you think, how is that going to work? Like, he needs the protein. He needs, you know, he needs to eat, like, steak and stuff like that. And clearly it's working. If he said he's in, he's in the best shape of his life in five years and it's it's June, like, that's pretty crazy for a guy his size that he's in the best shape of his life in the past it, five years. It is. And it's all about that inflammation he was discussing. When when you're able to reduce that in your joints and, and reduce some of that pain, where you're not dependent upon – uh, pills or, or injections or all those kinds of things that so many athletes manage just in order to get out there and be that ferocious. Uh, it makes me think. I mean, I haven't eaten red meat in a long, long, well, that's long, what I was going to say is time. you are a picky. Well, I wouldn't say picky, but you know what you like and you have a this certain kind of diet that you try to follow. I feel like vegan might be your next step in something that you could take on. It might be just because I'd like to be a little, little bit leaner. Um, a little, like really, <laughs> I'd like to be just a little bit leaner, but, um, it really did get me to thinking. And after I had this conversation with Gerald, I really did start, start kind of diving into the internet and reading some, some thoughts on, on vegan culture and what those folks do and why they do it. I just, I look, I grew up on a cattle farm and my sister and I, uh, Stacy, we, we trade war stories all the time about having to. Like one of the things that I recall distinctly about growing up on that cattle farm was we were, it was a middle of night, 2 a.m. or something. Daddy came in, woke us up. We had to go down the, down to the farm because a cattle, a cow was, uh, about to give birth and the calf was breech. All right. So the calf is sideways. How old were you for this? Huh? How old were you too? I'm just curious. I don't know. Maybe 10. Okay. 11, 12, somewhere around there. Uh, around Cameron's age, Cameron's sitting over here beside me, listening to the, to us tape the podcast. I was maybe around his age, something like that. And so the cow, the, the calf was breech. It was sideways in the birth canal. So what you have to do is you have to go up in there and tie a rope. What well, this is what we did, tie a rope to the calf's legs and straighten him out. And so, dude, we're, we're, we got this rope, man, and we are pulling, trying to straighten this calf out inside this cow. And that stuff never, that stuff never leaves you, dude. And everybody's like, man, why don't you eat red meat? It's not really because I grew up on a cattle farm. Uh, we ate steak for every meal. I mean, every, every second or third meal when I was a kid, we ate steak. We were like, we were like Uncle Rico on Napoleon Dynamite. He ate steak every meal. <laughs> and, uh, but I just don't now. It's just not my thing. And as I've researched and read over the years, I'm kind of glad I took that approach, but. You never know, man. I might, I might start. Well, here's my what way we need to do. Vegan. I'm hoping that a, one of the TV bosses are listening right now. 
Cam Newton and Gerald McCoy are vegan. They also happen to live in Charlotte. You yeah. live near Charlotte. I think we need a little feature where you guys go out to eat and you talk about it and do a full dive into it. I think that's a great idea. So, uh, hey, TV a, bosses, let's uh, get this going. That's a great idea. I'll actually pitch it. That's a really good idea. And because it, it is interesting to me, like, what do you eat? How do you, when you, when you walk into a restaurant, how do you peruse a menu? Because most elite restaurants in this country, what is their specialty? Steak. And so you want, I always go in, like if we go to, uh, Del Frisco's or Morton's or, you know, one of those like super high end, amazing steak places, they typically have phenomenal salmon too. And there's a reason for clowns like me who show up at the steak place and want to eat a piece of fish. But, um, I'm so appreciative of Gerald again. Hey man, uh, I live up at Lake Norman. You come on over and ride the jet skis, even though the Panthers don't want to hear that, and uh, and hang out. But it's great to have him in Charlotte. I was in New Orleans. Uh, we're going to transition over to my week and Travis's week. It was a real fascinating week for me. Speaking of the NFC South, I was in New Orleans for four or five days last week, preparing for the NBA draft and, and immersed in Zion mania. And I had just a blast down there. I had, I love Louisiana. I love Louisianans. I love New Orleanians. Like they welcomed me like I was their brother and that I was a native too. And we hosted a huge crawfish bowl down there and thoroughly enjoyed ourselves and, and learning about the way that they approach life and learning about their philosophy that if you love us, we're going to love you back, especially as it pertains to their athletes. Drew Brees, Travis, Drew Brees is the most, like, I don't know. Now, maybe maybe Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, TB12 in New England. I don't know. But it's different with Brees in that city. It's completely different. There's a level of depth there that I've not experienced all over this country going to different towns and cities covering all these different things. I I don't know any athlete that is more revered, beloved, respected, and appreciated than Drew Brees is in the 504. It's something to behold, man. Because he went there when their city was needing help. That's it. And to it. he provided them an outlet. And you know, so that's something that those people will never forget because he chose them. And granted, he was limited on options, but he went there. And helped rebuild that city in a different way. You know, he was he was out there helping, but also the emotional effect of going out there and giving him victories and what that does for a city. One of the questions that I posed. So I went down there on two different. I went on two different missions. The first was last Saturday and Sunday. I was down there to do a big feature, which we discussed last week, and hosted that big crawfish bowl and everything. Just had a blast, and those people. Golly, I just they're. they're their kindness. I'm, I'm just big on being kind to each other. I haven't always achieved that. I haven't always, uh, done my very best to, to display that emotion. I do now. I try hard to. And, and again, back to the book, all that stuff is in there. Uh, how my insecurities shaped a lot of decisions and how I feel like after all of these failures and, and whatnot, I have reached a position where I feel like I'm the best version of myself yet. And I, 
I feel in New Orleans a very unique kinship and brotherhood, and it's just it's wonderful. So I go down there for round two, which was actually draft day last Thursday, June 20th. I land at the New Orleans airport, Louis Armstrong Airport, around 10 a.m., get checked into my hotel down there in the Arts District, and we went to work. And my producer, Patrick Abrahams, is a brilliant human being. His creativity inspires me every single day. His, not only his creativity, but his ability to facilitate that creativity is the best way I know how to say it. He doesn't just have an idea. He knows how to bring an idea to life. And it's just so inspiring to show up. I thought, all right, when I landed at Louis Armstrong Airport, I thought, okay, I'm going to have a 45-second live shot on the draft show. Like, that's what I thought I was there to do. And I call Patrick, tell him I'm in town. He's like, all right, man, get get dressed because we're going after it. We went from one side of that city to the other all day long, six, seven, eight different stops along the way. And we were able to produce a, a minute and 45 second, which sounds short. Uh, in most life's, uh, most of life's contexts, it is short. On television, it's not. It's a very long time on television. We produced a one minute, 45 second piece about the day, draft day anticipation for Zion's arrival. And it was so cool, man. It was so cool. And the, one of the coolest things I've done, Travis is very, I mean, excuse me. Uh, I get, I'm getting my producers, uh, mixed up here. Patrick is, he is so well connected. And he contacted the Kern family. Barry Kern is the gentleman who runs Mardi Gras. And his son Fitz is the heir to that business and they work together. And we went over to Mardi Gras World, Travis, where they, it's one of 12 warehouses across the city that, that actually houses the Mardi Gras floats. They curate them, they repair them, they repaint them every single year. And not only that, they actually are the, manufacturers of the chick-fil-a cows that you see on the huge billboards where there's the 3d cows sitting on the billboards on the interstate they make those too and they're just it's a fascinating business and they took me all around into the back rooms and they showed me the engineer guy with the super top secret computer and he's he's uh devising the newest things that they're going to be producing but uh mr kern and, and fitz were so good to us in just their their depth of love for their city and they've invited us back to Mardi Gras Travis how about that they asked they told me I could be a grand marshal on the Mardi Gras float did they give you like a plus two because a Patrick will need one and then did they give you a plus two they gave us a, they gave me a plus plus bring them okay <laughs> sign me up so next February son we're gonna go down there and throw down uh but anyway that's all a, a random tangent aside to to share with you guys that Patrick is just, just working with him is so inspiring to me. And so anyway, we produced that piece. It, we get it done. And, and we, our last shot was, uh, they took Union Street or Union Avenue, whichever it is, downtown New Orleans there. And they made it Zion. They took out the UN and they put a big Z over the, uh, over the UN. We learned that from Darren Rovell's social media. He had put it up there. Someone sent it to him, I think. And we went and shot that. It made for a really neat little part of that story. And then the, our, our day began. Uh, we were exhausted. It was a hundred degrees. It was so humid. You felt like you were walking through cellophane, uh, trying to breathe. And then, uh, 
we did the draft show. And the draft show was a whole other thing. There were thousands of people out at Fulton Square excited as hell for Zion to come to that city and to be the new face of basketball. It had been since Pistol Pete Maravich that there was that level of what the, the this is the locals felt was relevance in, in basketball and excitement and passion in basketball for Zion, this wonder kind, this unbelievable talent to be in their city. And with so many people there, so raucous and so excited and so thrilled, uh, we made the decision that we were going to crowd surf. And so we crowd surfed. And, man, it was a polarizing decision. Some people loved it. Some people hated it. Is that your first time ever crowd surfing? No, I've done it before. I okay. did it at Duke Carolina one time. And the Duke kids passed me all around the uh, Cameron. But we decided to do it because it was it was so cool. It was authentic to the party. And um, I have gotten so – I was on the beach yesterday. I'm up in New Jersey. And I was on the beach yesterday, and my buddy Zach, who I've known forever, and he went to high school with Laney, him and his wife Kelly. And we're sitting there having a couple drinks on the beach. And he said that he was on an airplane to Portland, Oregon. And gets a text from his stepfather, and all it says is, really, Marty? And, I just, you know, it's hilarious. Uh, but, yeah, really, we did it. And we did it in a suit, and we did it with great, raw, authentic emotion. And uh, you also did, You also did it in Jordans. I was watching, I did in Jordans. And I, could, I do everything in Jordans. I could spot the Jordan logo because of how the bottom of your shoe was. So my yeah. question for you is... At what point did you stop thinking about the shot and crowd surfing and more about the safety of your shoes? Because uh, for the quickly. people that aren't, that are new to this, Marty, do not touch his shoes ever. <laughs> he, he, he doesn't, he doesn't like a speck of dirt, a scuff, anything. So I was really concerned about how you were thinking about your shoes. I was a little twitchy, uh, real quick, in fact, because I was like, all these people are boozing and Bunch of them have hurricanes in their hands, which, you know, it's that, it's that fruity mixture stuff that's super sticky and, and stains. So yeah, I had a little trepidation, but the funniest part was the microphone. I was definitely thinking about my J's. I had on these navy, they were like shimmery navy Jordan fives with gold accents. They're awesome, awesome shoes. And as I was up there being passed back, much to the chagrin of some of the, uh, some people, uh, I started to think, man, I, I don't know when they're going to drop me. I don't know when this is going to end, but I just hope I don't end with somebody's hurricane all in my sock. And fortunately, again, the people of New Orleans are wonderful and they put me down very softly. And I did immediately go find a makeup wipe and, get all of the spilled beer off of them but it was they're no worse for wear everything's all good funniest part was the microphone i as i'm being passed back i look up to the stage towards the camera and they're getting patrick and and our camera crew are getting smaller and smaller and i see patrick with one hand hand stuffed in his ear trying to hear our great producer linda schultz who was running the the nba show uh, he's got, he's like, because it was so loud. There's like, uh, there's like, uh, t-shirt bombs going off and confetti bombs going off and Lord knows what. And the other one, he's doing the mic drop hand movement with his hand. And I'm like, Oh my, I had a tethered mic. Normally guys, we use a wireless microphone. Not to, not this time. 
the way it works is there's a box called a TVU. And we used to roll those huge, bulky satellite trucks and be tucked, uh, plugged into that. Not anymore. Now we have this backpack, and it's the size of like a loaf of bread or maybe a shoebox. And it's the power of 30 cell phones, I think, and that allows you to go live on TV. That's why sometimes you see a little delay between the anchor in the studio and the reporter in the field because the, the signal might not be great. And when you are in a confined space, in a square, a city square with 7,000 other people, yeah, that thing ain't working. We got lucky. They had an ethernet drop right there on that stage. We plugged the box right into it. Great signal, but we didn't want to chance a wireless microphone not working or conking out because of all that Wi-Fi flying everywhere. So we plugged the mic into the camera, which meant that there was a very finite distance away from which I could go. And I, I was, I was encroaching upon that distance. And Patrick is doing the mic drop thing. I just started laughing and dropped the microphone. But what an awesome experience. And, uh, you know, it's, it was a Marty party. It's just what it was, what we do. And on that note, Travis has a story. So a little quick story. So last week we talked about beers, and I was saying how one of my favorites is Kentucky Bourbon Barrel Ale, and I said they don't have it up here. Well, part of it is me being stupid, but I'm going to give credit to a listener who left a review who said, hey, they do have that beer up here in Connecticut. Why don't you go to their website and hit find product, which is a novel concept, and if I had any sort of common sense, I would have <laughs> I would have done this from the beginning. But guess what, Marty? We're not exactly the brightest guys here. So I go nope. on there, and apparently it's being sold at a lot of uh, you know liquor stores around Connecticut. So guess what I did after the show on Saturday? Went and got you some. Went and picked up. Um, they sell them by the four pack, so I went and picked up a couple. And uh, thank you to the listener who left that review because now I've had a few Kentucky bourbon barrel ales in me, and life's better when you can have the beer. So to the people that, that leave reviews, I, 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 I read the reviews, so thank you, and keep them coming. We never knew that your reviews could be life-changing, uh, but in fact, they are life-altering for Travis. And, and seriously, guys, as we say each week, please subscribe, rate, and review. It matters to folks like ZipRecruiter and TSO, whom we'll discuss in just a moment. Our sponsors uh, allow this thing to be free, where you guys can listen to it with, with absolutely no restrictions. And uh, let us know what you think of the show. Send us your thoughts, maybe people you want us to interview or your even your impressions on parts of sports or, or life or music or culture. If you have a question and for Marty, we'll read it. if you have a question for Marty or me, pose that question and then we might bring it up on the podcast. That's how the beer topic got brought up last week. It is. As I mentioned a moment ago, uh, Tiso is one of the great partners here on Marty Smith's America and throughout the Lebetard and Friends Podcast Network. Tiso is the official watch of the NBA. I saw so many guys at the draft wearing those things, especially my man, Ja Morant. He, uh, on, he, he had plenty of Tiso watches on his uh, social media feed there. And I just think it's so cool to see those young guys, man. They get drafted. They achieve the life's dream and. To, to suddenly have all these different partners. I saw Cam Reddish from Duke had a bunch of partners and, and Ja and Zion and all these folks had all these different partners. And, and certainly RJ Barrett. RJ had some, some different new sponsors and, and partners that he was touting. It's just so cool to see those guys just achieve that dream. It's so inspiring to me. And anyway, Ja was one of the athletes I saw that was wearing TSO and it is the official watch of the NBA. Every single Tissot timepiece delivers quality performance and traditional luxury. The Tissot Chrono XL is a great watch 
for all of you who want a sporty chronograph with Swiss technology at an unbeatable price. Meanwhile, the Tissot PR100 family of watches brings together sporty and feminine details for a collection that's bold, romantic, and ideal for the modern woman. Shop Tissot at us.tissoshop.com and at select watch and jewelry stores nationwide. And I'm still waiting. I know, I know, I know. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost July. I told you. I've been 43 for three and a half months. When you turn 44. Tell you what, man. Maybe, maybe I'll get one of them bourbon barrel beers or something instead. Kentucky bourbon barrel ale. You, you, you would, I think you would enjoy it. I know I would. I like beer. That's but I'm true. I'm trying to stay off the beer. I'll explain why next week. Um, I got a really cool opportunity coming, uh, in mid July that I won't tell you guys about and really dive into. And certainly after that happens, we, um, we'll be discussing it because it's a very inspiring, very inspiring opportunity. And, uh, before we get out of here, uh, again, there's no Marty and McGee podcast anymore. We still have the radio program. TV's coming back. The simulcast on SEC Network is August 10th. And then in September, the weekly show arrives back, uh, which is going to be on Wednesday nights this fall rather than Thursday nights. They're moving us to Wednesday this year. Uh, but there's still the radio show throughout the summer here. And, that means there's still hillbilly headlines, which means it is currently time on the Marty Smith's America podcast for Marty and McGee hillbilly headlines. It's now time for the Southern Gentleman's News Briefing. Just kidding. Here are your hillbilly headlines on Marty and McGee. So let's take it down to Athens, Alabama. And I have to tell you, this story ranks right up there with the all-timers, like with the lady in the Pringles can and the drunk monkey in Brazil, like of the, the stories that have been sent to me the most over the years. I've got, I, rec- I bet I received this from 300 people this week. Uh, authorities in Alabama say an Alabama man fed methamphetamines to a caged attack squirrel. Oh, man. Alabama investigators say a man kept a, a caged attack squirrel in his apartment and fed it methamphetamines to ensure it stayed aggressive. Law enforcement officials were warned of the animal owned by 35-year-old Mickey Polk, and which, by the way, uh, they arrested him on multiple charges, including possession of a controlled substance. Unfortunately, he had an uncontrolled squirrel. He had a, it is illegal in Alabama to have a pet squirrel, which I got to be honest with you, stuns me. But they raided his place, and they freed the squirrel, and the. Vets said there wasn't much they could do for it, so they just released this squirrel into the wild. So somewhere in Alabama, there is a tweaker squirrel <laughs> that is out there in the woods. That gives that all new meaning moment. to flying squirrels, son. <laughs> I, I'm, he will end up at my house uh, tearing my bird feeder up. At least you what have you that squirrel launcher gadget. <laughs> what do you call that thing? That's the uh, Yankee Flipper. And uh, can you imagine... <laughs> You can you imagine how he'd react to that deal? Tweaked up squirrel. It, it would be interesting. It, it would be interesting. What you Let's got? Take it on up to New York. Okay. Uh, a man was arrested at the JFK airport on Sunday when authorities say he tried to smuggle thirty-four birds worth a hundred grand inside hair curlers. What into the United States from Guana? Travis, is it Guana? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> 
Francis Guharu, 39, is accused of smuggling. What was that, wait, wait, wait. What was that name? Guru. Guru. In This says G-U-R-A-H-O-O. That is Guru. <laughs> There's a lot of commas in here that seem kind of unnecessary, too. So right. I'm not really sure what's going on there. Got Y'all seen hell or high water? Anyway. <laughs> He's accused of smuggling live finches in his carry-on luggage. Prosecutors said the smuggled finches are used in singing contests in Brooklyn and Queens where wages placed on those birds with the best voice. A finch that wins these competitions can sell in excess of $5,000. Gurahu said he planned to sell the finches for about 3000 bucks a piece. He also admitted that he intended to smuggle the birds to avoid the mandatory 30-day quarantine. I'm sorry, Mr. Guru Who. We got to quarantine them birds. I mean, it says, here's what it says. It says, it says, Francis, comma, Gurahu, comma, 39, comma, is accused of smuggling live finches in his carry on luggage. So my presumption is his name's Francis Gurahu. So, so they have finch singing contests. Yeah, man. In New York. Apparently. Wow. And those birds and win five grand if they're good at it. Can we do a remote at one of these uh, little deals? Yes. What's a finch yeah, sound like? <laughs> that was good, Marty. Yeah. Well, we would ask Mr. Gurahu, but he has been detained. Hey, let's uh, let's keep it in our neighborhood, right near you. Salisbury. Is that a finch? Sure. <laughs> it'd be like, it'd be like, uh. You know, those bird bird experts watch the golf tournaments to make sure that the oh, birds gosh. are indigenous oh, the to worst. the area. <laughs> the worst. I'm sorry, sir. That finch is not indigenous to the area, Mr. Gurahu. That's why he, he smuggled them in from wherever he took, brought them from. He needed to get some new ones. Hey, right near you, Salisbury, North Carolina. Oh, yeah. Rowan County woman mm-hmm. tried to poison fiancé with eye drops. Oh, no. She was arrested after police say she tried to poison her fiancé to make him sick so she could leave without him interfering. And she says she got the idea from the movie Wedding Crashers. Quote, she said she wanted to talk to me, the victim said. We're talking. And she says, does your stomach hurt? And I said, no, my stomach doesn't hurt. Not bad. It's been hurting a little bit. The man is on the phone with a 911 operator, and he says, well, she comes walking back into my room. When I walk in there, she's pouring stuff in my drink. I said, what are you doing? And she said, I'm trying to give you diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> he said, she was pouring uh. mysine in my Coke. She just had watched Wedding Crashers the night before and said she got the idea, and she said, she was trying to give me diarrhea so she could in- incapacitate me. I want her out of my place. That's not sane behavior, no, is what he not. said on the 911 call. What is it about eye drops that upsets you? Is there a bunch of chemicals in there? I thought it was just saline water or something. Well, apparently, I just remember Bradley Cooper got the eye drops in his drink before he became like Academy Award nominee, Bradley Cooper, when he was just played the jerk in the wedding crashers and they put the drops in her drink and then he got sick. But I don't remember, remember that scene where they're diarrhea. playing football. Yeah. Was that Thanksgiving dinner in Maryland? No, it's like a crab post cakes and wedding. football. Right. Crab cakes, football. 
Our buddy Steve Burns used to yell that all the time because he was from Maryland. Let's let's uh yeah. let's finish Brad up this extravaganza. That's what Maryland does. That's, That's right. And Bradley there Cooper was hunkered over the commode in that movie. Commode's a great great word. I don't know I can't remember what I say on this show and what I don't, but when we were shooting that commercial the other day, I walked into one of those bathrooms at the church where we shot the commercial. Yeah. And it said, please don't put weird things in the commode. And commode was in like <laughs> 72 font. All right, Marty let's take came, it on down to Miramar, Florida. Yep. Uh, Fox like 35 Orlando seconds. reports. Not every day you see Spider-Man taking time away from his crime-fighting duties to pressure wash a home. Okay. George Martinez posted a photo to Instagram Monday of the web-slinging hero washing a roof while a storm was on the way. In the video, two men were heard debating whether Spider-Man was tethered or just relying on his spidey sense to keep him safe. <laughs> Turns out Spidey's alter ego was a worker with the sunset paving and pressure. He's the wow. father of a friend of mine who owns a cleaning company. He got the suit for Father's Day, and well, the rest is history. Wow. Yeah, Spider-Man, man. Spider-Man. With the spidey Clean suit your on. windows like Spidey can. Yeah. You know who would like that? Mr. Gurahu. That's real life stories, people. We that, That's not a novel we made up. We didn't pull that out of our keister. That's real life. That I was just, in the newspaper. I just love how when I first got put on the show as a producer, I was wondering, how am I going to find these hillbilly headlines? And then I quickly realized that there's a lot of stupid people out there and our listeners are amazing and tweet them at us and basically they they produce the last segment of the show i don't produce it it's the 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 viewers the fans produce it and find these hilarious like guy power washing his roof in a spider-man outfit who does that i love it i love it man hey he's the man uh he got that spidey sense there it's great if i'm his neighbor though i go out and get like a batman outfit and when he's up there doing his roof next time you're mowing your yard yeah you're mowing your yard in that batman suit that's hillbilly headlines and uh lord help us all pray for those folks it's brought to you by tso tso is the official watch of the nba shop for one us.tsoshop.com that is the marty smith america podcast for this week thanks so much to gerald mccoy man what an awesome honor to get to chat with him can't wait to watch him play this in bank of america stadium this fall travis great job getting him y'all don't understand travis uh, worked on that interview since february February. Great job. Uh, Luis, thanks so much for being crazy enough to let us do this. It's so much fun for us. Uh, really appreciate Tiso and ZipRecruiter for supporting this podcast financially, not only ours, but everybody in the Levitard and Friends podcast network. Thanks to Dan and Mike and everybody. They ran last week. We got off on a random tangent about legumes and stuff and they ran it on the Levitard show live during the week and man my my phone blew up it's crazy their reach it's just it blows my mind what their reach is so thanks to those guys for supporting it and and believing in us and as always thank you so much to the united states military all the branches all of our active members and certainly our veterans if you see a veteran wearing that hat walk over and say thank you we're so appreciative man uh to be independent and to be free we're so fortunate to have that blessing and to have that privilege and to have that opportunity to go and do and be and aspire to be whatever we want. If you want it bad enough in this country, you got a real good shot at getting it. And there's a reason because those people work so hard and sacrifice so much to keep us free. So thank you to them. And that's it. 
That's the Marty Smith America Podcast, Volume 59. We'll try better next week. Be good. Have a great week.